this episode of Why We Bleep is sponsored by Signal Sounds. Since November 2022, I've been living in a cave filled with smoke. I wandered in there, looking to create a metaphorical synthesizer, and emerged, seven months later, having stapled a doorbell circuit to a plank of wood. It only makes two sounds, one of which is ding, the other of which is dong, and I don't see that I can drag out a whole two-hour live show from just that. So, dishevelled and aromatic, I quietly let myself into the back door of a local solicitor's office while everyone was on lunch, and made use of an unattended computer in order to order a viable alternative from SignalSounds.com. Did you know that Signal Sounds are now the exclusive UK retailers for the psychogeographical beat poetry jazz insanity of Seat Lombard performance instruments? It being ever thus, I ordered a few to Kante's, a synthesizer designed to be played in a cave, and I'm looking forward to cracking open a cold one, touching the hairy capacitor, and hoping nobody wanders in to have a wee. I also ordered a Groove Synthesis third wave synth and a 2,000-metre extension cable. So if you're looking for a synth that has red lights, visit signalsounds.com. That's signalsounds.com. Why We Bleep is also sponsored by thonk.co.uk. Are you looking to save money while acquiring interesting new desktop synths and modules? Did you think that DIY synths are for extremely hardcore people who live in houses made entirely of 555 timers? Well, I've got news for you. The DIY synth scene has something for every skill level, including absolute beginner. Anyone can make something after watching a two-minute video on how to solder. One of the best-selling brands at Thonk is Bifaco, a large and high-quality range, great for beginners with their DIY Eurorack 101 series. With Bifaco, you can get straight into building and be making music before you know it. And if you want to get into how circuits work, there's the Erica Synths ES.edu system, perfect, because each module also is a little mini-course on how it actually works works. Something like the Music Thing Mini Drive is super affordable and you end up with a working module in 20 minutes if you have a little bit of experience or at worst case maybe an hour if it's your first build. So DIY is for everyone even yours truly can do it and I don't know how the bloody hell circuits work but I can build things and so can you. So check out Thonk .co.uk for desktop synths and Eurac modules you can build yourself. Now on with the show. Why? Hello. Do you remember me? My name was Mylar Melodies, and once upon a time, I had a podcast called Why We Bleep. And I'd do again. Yes, I have some very good news for you, which is you're going to be hearing more from me, and I'll tell you why. <laughs> and also why you haven't been hearing from me. And the answer to that is because 
when I was in my 20s, which I'm not anymore, it was feasible to just spend evenings and weekends making videos and podcasts and just generally building things for pure whimsy and fun. And then as time moved on, those things started to actually pay their way a bit and be worthwhile to do financially as well as because of the they were the things I wanted to do. But then time has passed and as full-time work continued and fatherdom expanded, five months ago we had our second kid, a very beautiful boy, and he is very sweet, but his presence has brought things to a head. You really can't give away your evenings and weekends when you have so little energy or time to give. And throughout all my creative life, that is building YouTube videos and being sort of visible on the internet, you may not know, but I have had a full-time job the whole time. I have been doing full-time work in order to bring the sweetbread. And then this has been like a side hustle. Well, it's not anymore because I've quit my job. Yes, <laughs> this is now my job because... I can't do two full-time jobs or what should be two full-time jobs. And that's why I've not been able to do podcasts. And so I decided there was enough work doing kind of some demos and, and producing this and hopefully growing my Patreon that I can justify doing this. And so that is what I'm doing. And so you are going to see why we bleeps regularly once more. And so I will invite you very shamelessly to consider sponsoring on Patreon if you enjoy Why We Bleep and want to help support its continuation. We obviously do have ad reads and I have got a third one at the end to help out some friends at Modcaf who Ben is um, worked at Anderton's and is involved with this amazing event, which you'll hear about after the episode. But yeah, Patreon is kind of the main way that, that Why We Bleep is is funded. So if you do enjoy it, I really would beg <laughs> beg you to consider signing up at any level. It will help massively. And the more that grows, then the more I can focus on this side of it and, you know, tutorials and other things that I'm not directly being commissioned to do. And so, a podcast. This episode is a conversation with the absolutely wonderful Brian West, a.k.a. Rival Consoles. And I actually spoke to Ryan quite some time ago. This episode has been sitting just on ice until I could actually get the time to produce it. And so um, I spoke to him like many months ago, a good many. And in this conversation, it's obviously about his latest album, which is called Now Is. And is just, it is a beautiful, it really exemplifies his kind of sound. It's this sort of wonderful, dramatic arpeggiated, warm, fuzzy synth music, in short, with just a kind of gorgeous, dusty whole world. You know, when certain types of music just have like a world, like, like a, oh, you've just totally done your own little thing in here. Like you've been working on this for some time. And so that is what we talk about, you know, the process of making music and how he makes his music how he gets that like signature sound, that kind of warm, fuzzy, arpeggiated, crunchy crunch. He was in his studio in London. And if you're watching this on YouTube, then there is a visual component to it too. I actually, Ryan was 
film or video, you know, I have the video of him talking. So if you are watching on YouTube, if you want to watch it again, if you're listening on the podcast on audio, then you can actually see Ryan in his studio and we, we chat about stuff. So, yeah, much to talk about. And since you've waited so long, I probably shouldn't take up any more of your time. Once again, we continue Why We Bleep with this conversation with rival consoles. Thanks. Um, so this is, I'm in my flat, which is a two bedroom flat. And the second bedroom is my studio, basically. Um, and I've always worked like this. I've always just had home studios. I've never had a studio elsewhere. Um, uh, to be honest, I'm not sure how much you can see from this feed because before it looked like you could see more. I don't know if you can see this. I can see, I can just see that looks like, uh, well, it's a nice reel to reel, like a Nagra yeah, or something. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, and no, I'm just yeah. making sure because I from because I can't see probably. Oh yeah, you can yeah, see. The, the width. Yes, but um, basically, yeah, it's just a you know a, a relatively small room. It's it's packed with gear that some of some of which can be seen, some of which can't be seen. Um, and this is where I've been making music for the last four years. Yeah, but like I say, my previous studio spaces would have been similar, um, and I've just. I, I've tend to work like this throughout my life. Whereabouts are you based? Uh, so I'm in Peckham. Well, Peckham, yeah. East Dulwich, South East London. Um, yeah. Are you, where are you from originally? I'm originally from Leicester. Yeah. You um, sounded apologetic. Don't apologize. Not apologetic, but I mean, we <laughs> won the Premier not. League. <laughs> exactly. Come on. Um, but yeah, so what I mean, of- I, I identify more with being in London though. Um, which sounds very cliche and ridiculous, but um, I because I've spent my whole life kind of wanting to be around people that make, not that people don't make in Leicester, but obviously in London, it's very easy to find yourself around people that are makers of all kinds of art. So I feel very much like I am a, a Londoner in, in that context. Mm. How long have you lived there? Um, I think 12 between 12 and 15 years now um yeah because i moved straight after university um because i did study actually in leicester um um and that was a music related course <clears throat> i did a similar thing not music course but i i went to i'm from like the countryside in yorkshire and then i went to university in middlesbrough uh, which was as great as it sounds uh, <laughs> but then i went to london and i went to london for like 10 years and i've just moved back to leeds but but like, yeah, I lived in London for age for like a full decade and a bit, and it's I totally know what you mean. It's that sort of desire to, at least speaking personally, it was the desire to go to where the life was. You know, yeah, there's there's a lot like, going on. Yeah, although to be honest, Leeds is pretty got a good energy, a, a lot better than Leicester from what I've experienced in terms of music industry and sort of I don't know more left field creativity. Do you, uh, I mean? But then you, would you be making music when you're in Leicester? When did you start making music? Yeah, of course. Yeah, I mean, because I started making music really young in a way. I was playing the guitar when I was 12. And because I'm the kind of person that tried to run before I could walk, I was immediately trying to make music, um, trying to compose. So, yeah, I guess probably for eight years, I tried to make music in Leicester. It would have been terrible, but 
was, when you say you were trying to make music with guitar and stuff like how in bands how? yeah in bands like kind of nothing special bands but indie left field post-rock shoegaze bands but with lots i mean in a kind of messy way that most people have done um but way before i even started to make music with electronic you know devices computers etc um Whereas I guess now maybe it's more likely that if you're younger, you just immediately walk into the world of producing with a computer because um, it's it's a little bit more common now. But for me, it was I was very slow into electronic music, um, which is, probably is helpful to an extent. Um, but yeah, that's kind of my way into mm. that. I mean, like, were you using tons of pedals? And when I think of shoegaze, I think of like I wasn't that kind of, of a person, but yeah. Um, I was, it's super, I, I've always been into composing um, on a really kind of fundamental level. So to begin with, I wasn't kind of smart enough to think, oh, actually the, the production aspect of changing sound is integral to composition. I was for a long time just thinking about chords and melodic ideas and rhythmic ideas. Um, so yeah, for a long time, it would have been very stripped back. Well, obviously, there were pedals like delay pedals, distortion, reverbs and stuff. But I wasn't the kind of person that had this huge setup. Um, and, and still to this day, really, even though I've got quite a lot of equipment, I have quite a, a stripped back approach to things, um, in, including like just constantly using stock plugins, for example. Uh, mm. You know, I'm not a, the kind of producer who insists on having hundreds of uad plugins which are I'm, I'm, I'm at the same time by the way i'm not saying there's anything wrong with that or that's worse or that i'm better i'm just saying that for some reason I, I tend to gravitate towards quite rudimentary approaches i think i get a little bit confused when there's too many technical procedures going on um, mm. and I, I, tr I try to focus on the the idea of the music if possible and even that's it's easier said than done <laughs> Well, yeah, I mean, your music, it feels very like, like, I was going to say cleansed, that's the wrong word, but it's condensed <laughs> in the sense that it's like, especially when I'm listening to the new record, it's like, it's, it's like textured, but it's very carefully considered. And I get the sense that you've, you've either taken a lot away, or you've just got the smarts to know when to stop and go like, these few elements, sounding as they do, full and like, like you know with the bass is obviously underpinned and everything sounds it's like a hefty kind of sound but it's simple i suppose is the key so it's it's knowing how to do that it's very non-trivial there is a lot of discarding of stuff that's for sure um because it takes me a long time i think to understand what is important and what's not important when i'm making music um obviously like there are things that you just do and you think oh that's good and then i i like that and then i'll build around that but when it comes to really understanding the whole composition well oh, knocking the mic <laughs> it takes me it takes me a long time to understand so there's lots of experimenting with discarding stuff and deleting stuff and get uh, even bringing stuff back just the the standard things that everyone is doing but it, i do like you tried to like you just explained i do try to I try to reduce things down to a point of like clarity. I, I basically like music to not be hiding behind anything, mm. um, like behind technique or power almost. Like I, I kind of like it to be quite vulnerable so that it's just the idea, which is a bit ridiculous. But for some reason on this record, I did it more than ever. Um, and so, 
and, I, and not to say that I would always make music like that, but I, on this record, I seem to want to make things quite naked and to the point where there are pieces on the record where they're almost kind of collapsing because they're almost too exposed, mm. which is quite interesting, but obviously not necessarily something you should do, but there's a lot of, yeah, just, I don't know, just tr exploring very, very fundamental ideas about making music and just seeing what happens. Um, but it's it's not really technical. It's more some. It's more just almost the the basics of of, of composition, really, that I'm still interested in. If that makes it's, any sense. Yeah, no, it does. It feels intuitive. Yeah, I mean, hopefully, I mean, yeah, that's what I'm trying to do. And yeah, what do you when you're making this record? Like, what are you surrounding yourself with? I suppose I mean, from like you know, when you're making a track on now is like, what is the setup and is do you have just like one bit of gear next to you or do you do you pick a few things or like how do you approach like writing a track and especially like what you give yourself to do and by which i mean like the gear that you yeah plonk next to the computer i mean with this record because it was predominantly made during the whole pandemic there's just a huge amount of experimentation and there was no agenda to have a smart or elegant workflow i was just for example, I used to have a drum kit in here, which is not in here right now, um, but where I'd just be constantly recording, messing around basically on a drum kit with two mics, three mics, recording with the Glyn Johns technique, you know, mm. just doing like basic things and then weird things. Um, and, and that applies to everything else that I do. So like sometimes I'll be doing stuff with the modular synthesizer, um, which I might just make one particular ambient sound that I then use. Um, I, I never really try to force anything. I'm just like making over a long amount of time. And then mm. some sometimes things are born out of that that really excite me and interest me. Um, with the pedals as well, I, I'll show you actually because I've got some pedals here. I don't know if you can see this. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I can see. A little pedal oh, yeah. world here. Um but it, it it could be the the case that a whole day I just spend exploring certain sounds, going through one pedal and then back into the computer, and mm. and and that could be a total waste of time, or it could be the there were there were times when I created some really really beautiful subtle background um, sort of behaviors that exist on tracks, mm. like in a warning, for example. There are some like background ambient sounds which are so detailed and and like articulated but they're just they're in the background um so you know there's just constant exploration and making the the, the rev 2 which is i put there just so it can be seen because normally actually it's in front of me yeah because i have a desk where the the key the keyboard's right in front of me because i'm playing that all the time as a synthesizer or sometimes as midi um but that's obviously as i've spoken about many times in interviews been quite integral to the general synthesis that I use on record. Um, there's, you know, I don't know if they're in the question. Yeah, yeah. yeah I can. There's other yeah, stuff like ask... the R Podicy, the, the, the Korg reissue of the R Podicy. Um, and the Moog Matriarch. The Moog Matriarch, though, although I don't think was probably used too much on the record because that might have come along towards the end. Mm. There were sort of sounds on there that I was like, that sounds Mogi in the sense yeah, of Yeah, there like, might be some bass. Got, which may not be tones. a Mogi, which is to say. It's just yeah, like, yeah, it's yeah. kind of what I associate. Like, you've got this, like, it's a great use of, like, the really simplistic, like, 
where you can really just feel like the basic waveform, a really nice like bit of drive and like a little bit of white noise that's just creates that sort of <laughs> I know it's not like a chunky sound that is it's it's so nice to hear it articulated in this way. And then as you say, like the textures, there's definitely tunes there where it's I forget the name of the tune, but maybe the one that you mentioned where it's like it feels I was listening to it, I was like, is that sort of shortwave radio? You know, like a, uh, it sounded almost like shortwave radio, like static and you, know, you almost can hear voices in it. Yeah, there are there, yeah. there are some like phone recordings of the outside world that feature on a few tracks, um, which yeah. have a kind of weird ghostly, um, yeah, yeah, almost like radio recording. They do, and there are probably voices in there in the distance, but it's, yeah, there's just, there's just a lot of very, very simple processes going on but because obviously it's made over a certain amount of time and a lot of things have been explored and discarded you're left with quite specific things that are, are interesting to me and hopefully to the listener mm. <laughs> it felt like it felt when i started listening to it i was like this is very like you've programmed all of the sounds as in like you've, you've like created the drum sounds like you've synthesized them as well but then as the record progresses and it feels very synthetic but in a organic fuzzy you know sort of warm way and then like there are like those little threads of real things quote unquote that just start to like sneak in and then there's like actual actual drums yep late, later on you know it's sort of interesting there's that sort of it starts very synthy and it feels like the real world sort of like cracks its way into the yeah into the mix yeah which is something that i've kind of done across a few records really is is blending and yeah trying to just stretch the two the two worlds like the electronic world synth, synth synthesized world and the acoustic world obviously they are deeply color uh, blurred but um but it's not uh, like a super intellectual choice it's just uh it's i, I tried i prefer things to be quite naturalistic um e even when they're synthetic in a way because obviously you can you can if you view my music against a singer songwriter it will sound extremely synthetic but if you view it against techno it sounds very organic so it's, there's mm. always this perception that's shifting depending on what it's played against or what it's surrounded by um but i i tend to prefer the middle ground because it seems very creative there where you can where you can point in either direction um but yeah i, I don't know if i was rambling on then <laughs> no no <laughs> tell me about the profit as well because if that's why is that important to you uh i mean i don't know really it's just crazy because i i bought it without you know, ever trying it and not, I knew about it and, and I heard the sounds of it, for, which is why I bought it. And I liked some of the pad sounds, but for some reason, I just massively connect with it and have done for the last 10 years um, to the point where it actually kind of shocks me, even if I don't work with it for, let's say two months. And then all of a sudden I just mess around with something. I just find immediately that I can start making music with it in a way that I can't with any other synth plug-in or hardware-wise. And I'm not sure exactly why that is, because I'd used many synths before this, at both in hardware and plug-in world. But there's just something about... I don't, I don't know, really. It's just kind of strange. but And it, it still continues to this day, like me being interested in using it. Um, because if, for example, I'm the kind of person that if, if, if I stopped liking the results, I would just stop using it immediately. I don't... I'm not trying to create... A connection with anything i just want things to work but it turns out there is a a kind of a thing going on where I, I tend to be interested in the results that come out of it quite quickly i, like I, I can't really explain 
the detail. I mean, I could show. No, can I even show? Because it's it's such a subjective thing, obviously. Because I could do show something that I think is interesting, and then other people could think they could do that in fifty other ways, and it's of no value. But for me, I feel I can do even, for example, let's say it's just an arp, an arpeggi arpeggiation. Just the velocity aspect of the arpeggiation on the Prophet Eight is really amazing to me. That you can play three notes really quietly, and they're almost not there, and then one note loudly. And then you start hearing this weird polyrhythm and then add another note loudly, add another note, medium volume. You get an extremely complicated rhythmic pattern that you can't really do on many hardware synths mm. because the other notes, even though you played them, are not really present. So you get accents on all these, you know. So I'm interested in just the simplicity of that. And that's amazing on the Prophet A, or that's the Rev 2, by the way, obviously. Mm. Um, but I have both. Um, but th things like that. Also, I was... On, oh, I should explain this actually. I just this the Rev two the whole time was is is always going through this analog heat, the analog heat, and also and hey, yeah, <laughs> and so also viewer, this is the I've got analog heat as well. Also through Which, the Otto Bam reverb. Uh, yeah, yeah, I have not got one of those, but I've heard Bim Bam Boom, isn't it? The uh, that's right, yeah, various ones. Although I've only I've only got this, but yeah, I've I've heard amazing things about, especially yeah, the the, the saturation one. But mm. for some, yeah, I just like the the heat going into this reverb, but and nothing fancy really. I, it's just changing the color of the synth. Because um, there is a lot of like I, I was reflecting. I was like delay and reverb are like your they're definitely like omnipresent but of course there's all this drive as well so it's sort of yeah there's a lot of hear. saturation i mean i'm I'm also even though i i showed the otto bam i'm a big sort of user of plate reverbs um valhalla plate mm -hmm. is often used with uh the synth sounds that i use um valhalla plate specifically or any yeah of the, i mean what is all, it the almost 100 percent of the time um I, I don't know. I just find that I like the slight metallic quality mm. of it. I mean, I used to use spring reverbs quite a lot, actual spring reverbs. Um, I haven't actually got it here right now, but I, I do because I've lent it to a friend, but I have the Space Echo 555, yeah. which is the rack mount version of the famous orange Space Echo. I'm just saying that just in case no one knows. Um, mm. and the spring on that is amazing, but and I've got various other spring reverbs. But yeah, so I do like the kind of metallic slightly gritty edgy reverb you know versus a really mm. glorious digital alter verb or combination yeah, like reverb. or like a chorusy sort of one although i know that um sean from valhalla which i've spoken to before he's like he's insane about chorusing and modulation on his reverbs as well yeah. but like i wonder if plate is less so um, Maybe. i mean i for example, I don't really use the kind of um, what's the modulation aspect of it, which I guess creates mm. more of a chorus. But it does seem to have a chorusy tone in general, I guess, versus a really natural room uh, reverb. Yeah. But I just like, for example, on "Now Is" the actual song, that middle break where it's like this ridiculous solo that sounds quite metallic. That's just 100% wet signal improvisation on the Prophet Eight. That sound dry is stupid, totally stupid. <laughs> yeah. yeah. But, for, yeah, but it sounds, I mean, I'm not, it sounds ridiculous to say it sounds incredible, but it sounds amazing and interesting when it's 100% wet plate. Yeah. Um, to me. Um, yeah. Because it sounds very euphoric and shimmery and yeah, it's got this metallicness. It's got this, it's got a certain color to it. 
Um, but there are lots of examples on this record and previous records that I've made where I've used 100% wet plate signal for melodic sounds, which should be at the front, but actually are in the back. Yeah. For yeah. example, on Slow Song uh, from many years ago, there's a sort of Fender Rhodes um, melodic line. It's 100% wet in the back, even though it's yeah. the main melodic line. I, do, I like doing things like that, which are a bit... They're obviously testing the listener a little bit. Yeah. They're kind whatever of, that means. I mean, it's funny because obviously almost all experimentations kind of existed, but things like that still remain not that common uh, when you when you push the melody right to the back. And there's not and there's nothing else. It actually it is the main melody the bits at the back. I really like doing that, and I've been doing that for quite a few years. But I, I almost will always do that with a plate reverb. Mm. And not just the Valhalla one. I've used the sound toys little plate is it little plate yeah little um, plate is awesome that would actually little plate is especially when you whack the time up to like infinity yeah becomes yeah beautiful synth reverb yeah i mean and again it's got this kind of there's a dark a slight metallic darkness to it but mm. that's definitely something that i've that i do um it's funny because people sometimes on social media comment about the reverb thinking there are these incredibly complicated meticulous <laughs> procedures but they're just often just a, a really basic reverb slapped on I, and also by the way i use like ableton stock reverb all the time yeah. i'm not just using the plate but i'm quite um quick with just slapping on effects and just seeing what works if that doesn't work getting rid of it I'm, i don't mm. really have a really elegant workflow of oh i must use this um and in a certain way even for example every time i even though I just admitted that I use plate reverb a lot, I I just start from scratch every time and just dial it in a little bit because I know exactly what I want. But I don't really have like a procedure in terms like of, in a, terms of a preset, like a template that no, you make music from. I never yeah. use template. I'm not against them. Obviously, some people use them, but I don't have a template for anything. Mm. It's always I always start with a blank, which is a bit. I don't know if the, I should probably have a template. By the way, <laughs> I don't think I don't, like, I've, I've thought I've some seen some people be really productive with them, and I've always been slightly jealous. Well, I don't start from templates either. Although, actually, that's not strictly true because I do have like Valhalla delay and like maybe Valhalla room. I think on a return it's on just on returns A and B. Yeah, yeah. I think. Uh, I mean, I almost don't class that as a template because I think return channels is being so. But even even then, I don't do that. Yeah, but, but I probably should. But I, I'm actually, even though I do use, there are examples on this album where I've got like seven return channels. See, I was always about to say like, if I made a template, it should just be to have more returns. Yeah, so I'm often, I, I'm often lazy is the wrong word, but Valhalla stuff, as you know, is just very satisfying, especially like the delay, and it's very easy to just be like that'll do, you know. And then, but but obviously, you can create so many different textures and colors if you have different types of spot reverbs and things. Yeah, I do wish that Ableton had the ability to drop um, effects onto clips themselves and bake them in, uh, you yeah. know, onto like single hits. I know you can do that on Persona Studio One. but Yeah, you... I used to do that in Cubase a lot. Yeah. Just, um, but it makes sense. Yeah, I've got friends who have like eight different reverbs as, as return channels and they're all different colors. So obviously you can just start throwing stuff into this world of different color. And that makes a lot of sense and is very creative. Mm. Um I think because that's probably a more of a mixer's perspective when I'm making, I'm so lost often or either lost or obsessed with an idea that I don't have that kind of um, pragmatism to 
focus on something like that. I'll 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 probably just do it, but I'll do it in a more clumsy, quick, negotiated way. Yeah. Because I've yeah, like I'm either basically not interested or obsessed. <laughs> or you're like, yeah, you're so focused on what you're trying to do. It's just like do you, you know what you want. Yeah. I know I know, I know that well, feeling. Well, not, not always, but <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I, it's it, it it it's a varied thing, but yeah, I mean, I can know how to get to a certain point, but it doesn't mean that that point was the right thing, I guess. I don't know. And when you, by the way, when you're starting to write something, you're like, it sounds like you're, you were saying that you, it comes from experimentation. It's not like you, you know, you're doing the dishes and you hear a tune. It's, I want to make music today. And so I go and sit and you, some piece of equipment that you just happen to want to like mess with. And then the art used to start recording and ideas come and then it's a, it's an additive iterative process after that initial idea. Is that what, is that right? I mean, there are times when I have very specific conceptual ideas, um, like recovery was very like a, a preconceived idea that I wanted to carry out. Um, in general, though, yeah, it's just it's more just because um, I don't, because I find that when I do have specific ideas, they often don't really do anything that interests me. So I, I just basically don't have an attitude of forcing something to work. I just like to experiment with things and stumble across things um but that but that doesn't mean that once i start doing something i don't have very like conceptual ideas about where it should go or, or, and why it should do xyz um i'm just trying to think because i make so much music that i can actually forget aspects of the way that i work <laughs> <laughs> uh, because i am quite outrageous with like making by the way in, in, in a way that's like, like wasteful. Well, I just I make, make a lot of huge stuff. amounts, huge amounts of things, and obviously a, most of it is of no value and doesn't interest me. But it's just I have a kind of attitude where I just make. Um, you mean you don't judge? You just make. Well, I, I mean, obviously, like you you want to make things that you like and and move and things that move you and things that you care about. But I, I for a long time, for the last like five years, I've I've got into the habit of just making even when I'm not in the mood almost just making and it can be anything. It can be, it can be fleshing out a whole composition in like half an hour or an hour. It can be just concentrating on like an, an effect, concentrating on a, mel a melody, you know, all the different aspects of making music. And then maybe that can be re reused a month later or a year later or never. Mm. It's just a constant, it's almost like research really for me where it's just, I'm constantly exploring stuff on different scales and then, yeah, obviously the stuff that interests me ends up making it into compositions potentially. Um, but even if this, even if things don't get used, that often you learn from them, or you learn more about things that you like or don't like in the process. But yeah, in terms of starting, it's on this record. I mean, like vision of self, for example, which is important to me on this record. As soon as I heard this aesthetic appear, this like delayed hypnotic aesthetic, I just thought, oh, I can make music with this immediately. And that and, th and that might have been one in a hundred uh, things that have happened in the last month. You know, it wasn't mm. like, I think that, I don't think that very often, but I was in, in immediately excited by just the behavior of the way that synth sounds and the way that it opens. Although that did take me over a year to make, by the way, which sounds ridiculous. And that's not, that's probably because, it, like I say, I kind of get confused when I'm making sometimes because I have too many ideas and I'm not always sure 
which is the right path. And by the way, when I say too many ideas, I don't mean, oh, I've got loads of amazing ideas. I just mean I have lots of kind of deviation, like simple deviations away in different in different manners. So I get kind of confused sometimes. E- even, for example, running on this album, I probably made like 40 full versions of that track. Wow, right. And, they've, and they can be very, very simple. It, it, it might just be the second half is changing 30 times. And some are much heavier, some are much lighter, some are a little bit more thoughtful, some are more basic, you know, this kind of thing. And that's the danger of working with computers is if you, if you have that, if you have this attitude, you can easily just create many different versions. And do you, I, how do you, I'm just thinking how you actually like catalog and stay in, in track, check with them, especially also, you mentioned like coming up with lots of ideas. I did, I read an interview, um, God, who is it with? Um, oh no. Uh, mine's gone blank. It'll come to me. But he said he was like, the smart thing is just export every session, export everything, because otherwise you end up with like, you know, Radclip five Ableton Live set and like, you know, hundreds and hundreds of them and no idea of what is what. I guess my question is how you, how do you stay organized well, and not lose the good ideas, keep them accessible? I, I, I do get a little bit lost, but because I'm quite obsessive... <laughs> That sounds um, helpful in this instance. I, I, I mean, I tend to be just on top of things because if I'm into the idea, I, I'm, I am always listening, by the way, to the different versions and I do change my mind. For example, on Running, I did make more ambitious versions of the song, which I then turned my back on and went back to a more sort of naturalistic, subtle version because I found that listening to the more ambitious versions... 50 times, 100 times. I'm listening, by the way, all the time. I'm listening a lot to my music. It's, 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 it's crazy, really. And not just at, not just in the studio, but when I'm out, um, mainly when I'm out, really, to try and learn from it. But yeah. it, 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 over listening over a long period, you find that sometimes you can sense that something's being forced and the composer's forcing you to think a certain thing. And sometimes that can be good. Sometimes it can not work. So in this particular example... I, I chose something which was far more understated and, and sort of natural. Um, so you kind of, you you say no to like excitement, but maybe it's more moving in the long term, which is, which is a big risk, but yeah. there's I lots of, in, yeah. Sorry, I was going to say, but obviously it's one thing to listen to a track in isolation, but if you're considering its function as part of a record, then it can be very different. And I don't know if you're saying that you will also like sequencing albums of course a big question it's just like that you know how do you do that and do you then therefore go back to other versions and be like oh actually this version fits here better yeah basically um because it is a mess (laughs) But, (laughs) but i am it's an ongoing thing it's just like i say research is probably the best way to describe it because if you spend six months for example listening and making in the final stages you can lose your mind but also you do start to get a strong sense of the general average of the way that things relate to each other. Of course, this is all subjective and you can have other people's subjective opinion, which is valid as well. But I think certain things do tend to rise to the surface as, as being more valid to you. And it's just, for me, I spend a long time. It takes me a long time, like I say, to get to reach the point of like a better understanding of the ideas um and that's just the way i've tend to 
have worked for the last sort of five to 10 years, really. I mean, I, and I'm not even forcing me being like this, by the way. It just turns out this is kind of the way that it's that it's being done. <laughs> mm. Because obviously I would prefer if I was really, oh yeah, this just works and then this and this and this. But for, for me, it turns out that I'm much more, it's more like thinking out loud and I'm responding to the thinking out mm. loud. Um, yeah. But yeah. Um, I mean, it's like, Oh, yeah, personally speaking, I make music in a reactive way as well. What, what you were describing about having, you know, having the germ of an idea and then seeing where it takes you, it's how I write music as well. I mean, it's, I think, I think for a lot of people, then it's a sense of retro, retroactively trying to work out what you were, not what you were going to say, because you don't necessarily know. But, but as you say, like just seeing what does the tune want? you know what what would work there and it's 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 like i mean i've described it like sculpture before you know it's like you've got the big block and you chip away and you sort of look at it sideways oh it could be that actually and that's maybe that's what i'm trying to sculpt and then eventually you arrive at it but um i guess it's that sense of i'm impressed by the organization and it sounds like you it's not that organized well well, a lot of chaos you get there is the point you get there and it's but also i think is there's a there's that kind of lesson, and I don't know. There's a quote somewhere that someone will know is the whole thing that, um, you know, what's the word like fake, fake artists sort of sit around mulling, waiting for inspiration, but like real artists just show up and do the work. You know, it's that sort of, which is, I think is fair, quite honestly, because it is true. I think what you're saying is that you literally just sit your bum down at 9 a.m., maybe uh, every day. I'm like, I'm going to create stuff. Um, yeah, there's and then, huge amounts of just work, yeah. Um, do you And do you literally work like, do you have like set hours that you give no, yourself No, not to? really, but I would say that over the last three years, it's been pretty ridiculous. Like it can be like eight to 10 hours every day. Do you, What time do you start? Well, because I don't really like to listen to like sound super early, so it can be like 10, 11 a.m. Yeah. But it's it's more the case that not only am I making every day, or have been it's it's more that even when i'm not making i'm listening so mm. um there's just a huge amount of kind of paying attention to the thing and that and, and by the way i don't this can obviously be, be detrimental to the practice as well i'm not saying if you do if you if you work this hard and if you pay this much attention it's good because there's a lot to be said for stepping away and having absence of being involved with the making process but for some reason i've gravitated towards being very sort of actively involved in the making and the listening all the time i mean of course the pandemic probably made things a little bit more extreme in everyone because Mm. everyone kind of retreated into themselves a little bit more maybe like in an introverted way and people that make music like me are already probably quite introverted yeah no i definitely (laughs) identify with that so (laughs) you know you gotta there is there's a healthy everyone's got a different balance of how to approach these things but yeah and, and to be honest, actually, moving forward in the future, I would actually prefer to 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 not be like this. I would prefer to actually be a little bit more relaxed and less extreme about how much time is spent on things, because I do think you obviously gain a lot from obsessing and spending a lot of time with something. But you 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 can you can like I say, you can confuse yourself and lose focus. Um, not because the ideas aren't even good, but more just because it's just too much information. That's that's kind mm. of something that I'm thinking about as I move forward is to sort of reduce how much actual information is there so that I can understand what exists even better. 
It's like, um, well, it's that thing also if you're too close to something. I yeah. mean, I know listening fatigue is a big issue in it. You know, there are people advocate getting up every hour and going for a walk away from the music in order to reset your objectivity. And I mean, that must be a huge problem if you're immersing yourself and almost like not allowing yourself an escape. Yeah, like I, don't really get, I don't really get listening fatigue though. Right. Um, I think, is that... Is that more of a thing though when it comes to like the mix and like understanding what's going on in the mix? Because I do well, get confused in the mix, but for example, when I'm making, I find that it's either doing something that interests me or it's not. I don't, there's no kind of, yeah, I don't really have those qualities when I'm making. I'm mainly mm. making, by the way, as well, because even though I'm mixing as I'm making, I never have these kind of like classic mixing fatigue moments. It, mm. it doesn't mean that things are always working for me, but I just don't have that kind of a thing. I guess Probably because I'm already annoyed with the other things, and they're <laughs> and they're the you know they're taking over my mind. But yeah, the, I don't know. Well, it sounds like you're composing is the point, and I guess when you're composing, you're really focused on what's next, what's next, what's next. Yeah, and that is different. I mean, I'm sure that you like. I'm sure will mix as you go. Like everyone trims the levels and you know high passes that a little bit because. It obviously needs to be high passed and stuff, you know. Sure that those things are true for you, but yeah. Um, but yeah, I think that's very I think it's very healthy if you're gonna be involved with any aspect, is to just be involved with the composing side. And I think it's dangerous with things like Ableton Live, it's tempting to get stuck into kind of um loop mode where you stop with the like the gas comes off, you know, the foot comes off the gas when it comes to adding new parts. Hmm. Um, and then there's there's a sort of natural moment where you have to move from these were the ideas to now I need to actually structure them. Um, I find myself like um, I find it hard. Like I will get into you know I'll write 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 write, but then I'll get into a stage where I'm just sort of playing back all the parts and just kind of listening and reacting. But I've sort of I'm not like moving it forward. And hmm. I suppose it's like how did you? How do you get to a point where this is finished? Are you do you consider yourself like a you're obviously a starter, but are you a finisher? And do you force yourself to finish things? Well, I do find it difficult. Um, I think everyone does. Obviously, there are times when things just naturally present themselves in a certain way as a structure that just feels quite legitimate and you can just then enjoy refining that. Um, but yeah, I, I find it very difficult. Like I say, because I have many ideas, and that the many ideas actually are about restructuring things. In, a, in a, right. and again, I'm talking really simple, just like maybe this happens here now, or maybe it happens later in this version, because there are so many ways that you can just rearrange simple aspects of structure. Mm. And the way that I write music often, because it's not really loop based, there obviously it is on a level, but it it lends itself towards being restructured in different ways for me. Um, because I tend to improvise many, many different parts. There's there's many kind of parts that are quite rigid and then there are parts that are quite organic and overlap those. So there's lots of, you can create the sense of illusion that mm. things can go in different orders instead of you really perceiving a more loop-like structure to everything. So when it comes to finishing compositions, it just, yeah, it just takes me a long time. Like some of these pieces of music took me a year to, to complete and that's purely out of hesitation, really, probably more than anything else, because arguably they could be finished very quickly. I, I definitely write 
huge amounts of music very quickly and you know it could be 80 percent of the compositions done very quickly but i do find it takes me a long time to decide that it's complete and i'm not even mm. talking about the final 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 like details of like mixing and refining stuff um i'm actually talking about the general structure mm. um i'm just trying to think of examples because it like for example this record's quite strange in a way because it, it all the compositions are super simple that they could almost be played on a piano and they've got very sort of simplistic verse, chorus, bridge, blah, 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 sections to them. But at the same time, because lots of aspects of the sounds are different to that, it it takes a long time to kind of resolve the sense of how things should be. I mean, like I say, this also this record was made in the pandemic. I think that did affect the way that I thought about music in general. I was the kind of person that was going out a lot and needed to go out a lot to have respite from making and also, you know, to go into music venues and perform as a way to refresh my perspective. So I, I probably lost perspective during this. And that's probably why the record has got a little bit even more of an introspective quality to it and and maybe like a slight vulnerability and sensitive, sensitivity to it, which I actually like. Um I I do think things like that help you gain a better understanding of like completing music. Um, I I, I kind of I don't think you can make good art if if you if you're always just like locked in a room. And I don't mm. mean because of the ideas or the production, but I mean there's something about going out into the going out into the world and experiencing the things that are outside of what you want that that sort of resolve perspective in your own work. Um, so yeah, it's just, and uh, I mean, actually to, to be honest, the bottom line for me is actually playing live. Then I really understand what's good and bad about ideas for in, mm. in my own work mm. and it can, it can actually flip. So things that I thought were really important can be of no value and things that I thought were absolutely like redundant can be really interesting to me in a, in a venue. So, and obviously that's a luxury Not everyone can like just walk into a venue and play stuff. Um, but. I, I would advise anyone that's like making electronic music if they can to play their music in different contexts for like physical different spaces mm. um, versus trying to completely understand it in like a, in a, in a bedroom studio or a home studio. Um, Cause you just, you need to, I think it's good to make yourself uncomfortable and vulnerable uh, in the, in the process of making and listening to your work which is obviously not enjoyable, but it just, it has to be done. Um, but because I've done so much of that, because <laughs> I've made myself so vulnerable over the years, there's always that going into the process anyway, as like a kind of psychological quality, but it is important. I think in terms of completing stuff to, to, to have that going on. If, Do you if mean you it's to really, to take another person's perspective or get well, their impressions, well, the audience's well, impression, what they react to? No, but the point is your perspective changes as soon as you're in a different right. context and you see other people, you're, everything, you... I see. Your yeah, whole yeah. attitude shifts. And it, and it will shift at all times. The same song in 20 different venues will behave differently. The same song in 20 different venues at different times will behave differently. Um, you at different ages, it will behave differently. You know, there's all these variables, but it's just the idea that you shake up the variables a little bit so that you, you you gain a little bit of insight into things. It's I mean you know that's just my opinion. Mm. <laughs> sounds no, a bit sounds a bit dogmatic. <laughs> no, but I think it I think it makes complete sense. It's like there's that sense that like the only I mean I play live a little bit, but like 
I make videos that explain pieces of equipment and I've spoken to people where I've discussed the fact that the things I make when I know there's a camera on me and I'm and I know someone will see it hmm. are different to the things that I might make yeah. when it's just for me, you know. And there's an inescapable fact that like the it's almost like the red light syndrome, but it's not like a it's like a bad thing. It's just that sense that because you know that someone's going to hear it, then you make it differently. Maybe. Yeah, I mean, yeah, I you'd think, like to think you you don't, and it's all very authentic or whatever that means. Yeah, but. I definitely agree with that. But obviously, what I'm talking more about, like even just playback of material, it, it can be performed live. But even just playback, the playback of material in a different context, you're gonna things will be revealed that just can never be revealed, like in a studio scenario. Um, so and then it's too late to do anything about it, or is it depending on your well, life? That, that's what I'm saying. So. I, for many years I've had the habit of like trying stuff out live and I'm talking not even at the gig maybe just even in sound check mm. um just to just to gain a little bit of insight how does it feel you know you could you can play something in sound check and think oh actually sounds very uninteresting sounds very flat or you know or it can be the opposite it can be like oh this is actually really interesting but I thought this was extremely you know unimportant um it's just the way that things change, perspective changes. And obviously that's super subjective. But I've mm. been doing this for the last like eight years, I guess. Well, 10 years probably. Well, maybe 15 years. <laughs> I can't. I, I mean, like in terms of like being in venues and trying stuff out. So it's informed a certain aspect of my thinking. Um, but I, and, and I do think it is important uh, to do that. And it doesn't have to be in venues. Obviously, it can like be... I mean, the worst thing, obviously, is showing your friends your music. But... <laughs> But you know, can, you, well, just they because, say they like it. Of course, they're like, oh, it's great. It's, there's something yeah. horrendous about that, and I don't really do that. But you know, that that is a resort. That's a last resort. <laughs> when you put on your like mix for your mate and you watch their face, like, oh my god, that's that's the, yeah, that is a real trial by fire. Like, I, Pitchfork got nothing on that. I don't think I can't remember the last time I've ever done that because I've I've always hated that um, showing friends of mine my music because I just feel like. Well, for a long time, I used to think that only I understood my music in a very teenage way. <laughs> and and I don't mean I thought it was amazing. I just think I just thought only I cared about those particular qualities that I was trying to do. Um, so to this day, I don't really show my friends, but if... if I'm sure they hear it. Well, well they we don't come know. to the gigs, obviously. They come to the gigs and watch you. No, I don't. Like, that's oh, another thing as well. I never, never want my friends to come to my gigs. Because <laughs> then that's that's like the ultimate version of the like the audience is listening and how does it feel? Yeah, it's it's happened a few times, but generally I I hate it. Um, I just I, I only want people to come go to the gigs that really like and are interested in the thing, um, which makes total sense. And I just I yeah, the idea that people might be there and then just for you know some weird just reason. To help. But I mean, they want you to succeed is the thing. So like, surely they've got your back or do they? <laughs> I don't know. But it's just, uh -oh. I mean, everyone knows this, like who's makes, that makes, you know, art that showing friends is, or family even. It's just, there's a, there's a weird vibe going on there. But it, it can help the process because you become really uncomfortable. And like I was saying earlier, being uncomfortable is actually really helpful for decision making. Um, not Not necessarily in that moment, but if you just do it, now and again to create a, a different average in your head mm. is is my way of thinking keep you in check basically yeah a little bit a more of a refreshed perspective when you play live what is your what do you give yourself to do so live is kind of 
I mean, it's always changing, but it's been a hybrid of, I would say, kind of like fifty percent mixing, because I'm. It's just me, um, and there's, I've only got two hands, and I do like to constantly improvise on the profit, because mm. I do have the kind of the identical setup in my studio as live. Um, which is the Rev2 going through these two pedals. Um, and then I have a huge amount of um, flexibility of how I can shape those with a MIDI controller, uh, with the the XL MIDI, the Novation XL MIDI controller. With the is that the little like one with, oh, it's faders, is it? Not it's, like the one with like, of, the colored dials. It's, no, it's kind of yay big. Wait, like, oh, can I show you? I'll yeah. show you. It's, um, try not to smash everything with these headphones. That's like the old... Oh yeah, yeah. So it's the one with like you've got like the grid of like knobs and like eight faders, and you've got the buttons at the bottom. Yeah. So I have eight channels of audio, not always running, but yeah. And lots of simple DJ aesthetic, sort of cut, low cut, high cut, uh, delaying stuff out, reverbs. But I, what I really love to do live is constantly ride the faders. Mm. Um, which is obviously really obvious, but I mean, I mean to the point where actually, so which is so stupid, but the, this channel, which is the Rev Two, which it actually says, I don't know if that can be seen. Yeah, but, I can see it, Rev Two with a green sticker. Um, I'm I'm constantly riding this as I'm playing the synth, mm. so I'm basically always playing with one hand, but I'm always always. So if I play for an hour, and I'm generally playing the synth a lot, I'm I'm constantly like shaping the volume of the Rev Two. Um, which sounds super basic, but that's so powerful because it means that I can be extremely expressive. Mm. So for like example, well, like a swelling. Yeah. yeah but also in terms of I can, for example, I can, with the distortion, I can really make something disgusting with the distortion and then mm. bring in a little bit of that, a little bit of grit and then mm. back it off and then it's cleaning, you know, just very fundamental, mm. simple shaping of playing um, live. And then of course, on top of that, I'm always, with stems, loops, um, kind of playing with the structure of, of music. It's often not there's often lots of playback, obviously, because if I'm playing the keys, then I can't do everything. But there are really interesting bits where I can actually be extremely creative. Um, but it's took me such a long time to get to the point where I feel that um, it really. To be honest, it's actually been in the last few years that I feel like I've only just started to get really confident live. Um, and feel like I can do interesting things in the moment. Um, and it's just took a long time to, to do that. I think because when you're producing, you, you're so obsessed with produ producing and making music that you often negate how things function live. Um, but because obviously I've been playing live for, for many years, it's kind of just slowly crept into my general attitude about what can be done. But it is just dead, dead, dead simple, by the way. Everything I'm doing mm. is dead simple, but this... The point is, it's extremely playful. Mm. You can like, like, even the simple, as you know, from mixing, it's the levels that things are, the volumes, yeah. is by far the most important thing. And you can completely transform because what you're doing is obviously giving focus to something that may, on the record, be a background element. You can suddenly bring it to the front yep. and sort of expose it in a way that will be novel to everyone listening. So like, oh, I know that little bit, but that... And you know, only slightly hear it on the record, and then, um, yeah, and obviously you're pushing what people are interested in. Um, as in, if you know, if it sounds good, you're pushing it forward. I don't know. It's sort of. Um, do you what when you sequence like live? Are you 
how do you do it? Like, what are you thinking, like, I'm going to make a more dancey thing or, you know, what are the types of venues that you play in? How do you then craft, like, what you're going to include? And then do you ever, like, remix things and, like, you know, make them more dancey to suit an audience? If you're, you know, if you're playing festivals and things, it might be what people want to hear. I don't know. Well, so for the majority of the work that I perform, it is quite close to the the structures that I've written as as music. I, I definitely do like change quite a lot of tracks and make them perhaps so a, so a bit more... The structures are hard one, so you don't want to like mess them, as well, you've explained. It, yeah, it's, it's more because I'm so obsessive about the structures that if I've... For, you know, there are some pieces that I don't think I could do a better structural version of. Hmm. Um, it doesn't mean that they're perfect, but they're kind of... The hot, the whole of it is very powerful. Yeah. Um, but there are, yeah, there are examples where I completely restructure and make a little bit more of a physical clubbier version of tracks, um, and also may, maybe to make them fit more within the set. There's lots of issues with my music in terms of tempo because I, I'm the kind of composer that writes from like 70 to 150 BPM. <laughs> Um, you know, versus someone that just makes 120 to 125. Yeah, yeah. It means that mixing for me is actually, I'm more restricted what I can do, where I can go. I could, that's obviously that's, that's other people would argue that's not true, but I feel there's a clumsiness going up and down in speed. So I tend to slowly, slightly speed up during the set, mm. which, which sounds ridiculous, but I feel like it's the only way that I can negotiate the kind of, the ideas that are going on sounds good though i mean if it, everything slowly speeds up throughout I mean, the set yeah, then you leave on a high right I mean, yeah and also by the way it's not like it's not really noticeable because it's extremely gradual but it's just a way of negotiating the different ways that i've made music over the last sort of 15 years mm. but um i've just remembered it was hudson mohawk by the way who, ah. uh, <laughs> it was he's the one who said like bounce out all of your stems and yeah. then you never lose anything but no, you were talking about playing live. You were talking about what you give yourself to do, yeah, and the, the slow speeding up, of course, of the oh yeah, the different yeah, different tempos. Um, was it about? Oh making yeah, those... I think it was about the um, yeah changing up, making variations on the music for live. Mm. I mean, yeah, there's lots of flexibility because you know there are some pieces where there's huge sections that are just playing out, playing back outright, and then I'm improvising live with them, and then mm. maybe bringing in new elements. But then there are pieces which are completely stem-based and I can structure them live with the faders, as well as maybe bringing in a little bit of improvised synth playing. Mm, that's fun. Swapping them right. over. Yeah, it's just it's just obviously the kind of fundamental things. And it's very creative, but you have to be obviously very careful in that context because if you because I tend to be riding eight faders in some of those situations. And it is simple, not, but I can attest you only got two hands, you're not an octopus. Yeah. It's just <laughs> but it's just fun because I like to actually, you know, even like play use the the, the faders as like tremolo. So like you mm. can just do little gestures with the faders and be creative with them in a kind of I I'm all about kind of having fun with the the really simple aspects of studio production. Cause I still think there's like a lot of magic there. You know, versus here's forty granular plugins, and that's obviously amazing as well. By the way, I'm never, I'm not a purist. I'm just for, mm. for me, I just tend to, especially live, really enjoy, just like yeah, like playing with the volume of things, delays, reverbs, e cutting stuff, mm. blending stuff, just fundamental things. But I, it, I must qualify this though, actually because 
the, the stuff that I've already kind of like curated into this already has this in mind. Um, mm. So in a way, it is a lot deeper than actually me liking those things. It's more like I've created a system of material that naturally lends itself well to these kind of processes. So that And that's probably important to think about if you're playing live. I, yeah, I, I only have it. stuff. I do like sick DJ cuts with your sort of Stockhausen. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Stockhausen, yeah. I mean, you could try it, but I mean, like, yeah. Like he yeah. would probably like it. He probably would. And I mean, it, it, he was just stuffed with filters, right? I mean, so that's... I mean, but like, like the, the 50 band sort of pure academic, school. yeah, of course, academia, but yeah, anyway, it's just simple stuff. But it's very, but I mean, as you say, with the like, you know, the, with the moving of a fader and like wiggling and creating a tremolo, I mean, the reality is that that's something that people can perceive as an audience can see the yeah. wiggly hand, like Ryan's hands wiggling and they can oh. hear the wiggling sound, but like a granular uh -oh. plug in, it's like the audience has no idea. Oh, I what. cut out a little bit then. Oh, can you hear me now? I can check, hear you check. now. Sorry, I'm just letting oh, yeah, you know. Sorry, that... lost you for a sec. Yeah. I was going to say, but yeah, like the thing is, like if an audience member can see your wiggling hand and it's like Ryan's hand's wiggling, I hear a wiggly sound. But if they hear like, you know, cloud rings into clouds, then there's just no perception of what's making it. I suppose if they saw you messing with a modular synth, then there's that. That's kind of an aesthetic and it's cool. Yeah. And, but I suppose it's that eternal problem that electronic musicians have that what we do we is yeah. imperceptible yeah. largely to an audience and you could just be reading your email but it's so very hard to strike a balance with that and i think yep. do you have like visuals as well do you compose like and create a whole sort of visual component to your sets yeah we used to have visuals that i kind of programmed in maximus p that were then performed live at, which is quite interesting because it's not playback that's actually completely generated live mm. um but I, I, by the way, in regards to like electronic people live, um, and should they be doing stuff? Should they be seen to be doing stuff? I, I kind of don't care. <laughs> um, mainly because I'm so interested in, in ideas. So for example, if someone's doing stuff that excites me, I'm already happy. Mm. Um, of course, like we all want to be like struck by like, charismatic performance it's not like no it's not like i want things to not be that but i tend to be super open to electronic music um and and the way that it's performed live uh, i mean like for example orteca who for many years have performed in like pitch black even though ironically they're doing actually way more probably than most other electronic yeah. um performers so there's a kind of interesting contrast going on there but did you go to the barbican by I, the way i didn't go to the barbican i missed out on that um, i did not go it's, either. it's um yeah it's in my head I have, i've seen them play but um at brighton like a few years ago oh, where, where was that where, at the dome it was it was it's in that is it the pier but well near the pier but it's like a very long room basically oh. in brighton and like uh it was down like by the short waterfront but right they played in the dark and yeah. it was like, yeah, it was incredible. It yeah. was like, uh, and I remember I, they started playing and it's just like, uh, just uh, like an indescribable landscape of sound that you're hearing. And it was in the dark and everyone stood there. You can see just enough because there has to be like um, emergency lights on. Yeah. You know, so there's a tiny glow. 
And you can, in the glow, you can see people standing, staring forward with their eyes open, which is a bit silly. And I thought, and then after a few minutes, it was, it's like being at the dentist. I don't know, sort of a bit of a weird analogy, but you realize that you can close your eyes. Like you don't have to keep your eyes open. And so I realized I was like, I can close my eyes. And I just closed my eyes and I was like, this is so nice. Like I'm really enjoying. And it it's the ultimate expression of the fact that it's the music yeah. that matters, not anything else. Yeah. And also I guess their music creating such, com- you know, detailed worlds as well makes it even more interesting because the senses probably open up more but yeah they're just a a a super interesting example i guess Mm. in all aspects but yeah i don't really have a fixed attitude about how electronic music should be performed or perceived um and i think maybe as you know time marches on because more and more people make electronic music more than ever obviously um it's it's probably becoming less and less of a a battle because obviously there's this like you mentioned there is this sense that it should be recontextualized in the way that traditional performance is or i think that's what you were kind of hinting at um which has been on my mind by the way for a long time because i am a guitarist first so of course i do feel sometimes there's this kind of fraudulent imposter syndrome thing going on even though i made terrible music with bands but but i feel like i've made music that really moved me in the kind of electronic computer world mm. um but yeah it, it, there is the it is an interesting kind of you know conversation and and there are obviously all examples of it like there are people that are super charismatic like classic performers with electronic stuff and then there are people mm-hmm. that are like super idm yeah on laptop it, it doesn't matter though if it's good like you know no, it, it really doesn't. I suppose it's just, it just depends what you value, I guess. Yeah, like, which is always uh, changing as well amongst people. That's kind of what I'm trying to say. Totally like, is. And as you, as you hint, like, you know, talking about how your music is perceived when you're going from different venues to different venues, I recognise in myself at least that, like, I, I care less. Sometimes I really care about the just press play thing. And sometimes I'm like, I'm just glad to be out. Yeah, <laughs> just, yeah. I'm, I'm glad to be here and hear their music on a big system because that's also really nice. Um, yep. Yeah. It's, and I, yeah, I agree with that. It's sort of, I guess, I've I've liked the occasions when I've seen bands where it's not even possible for me to tell what they're doing. I, also, I do find that helpful though because then I have to just disengage this more technical part of my brain that's like that understands how electronic music is made and is wanting to learn something from what they're doing. Like I went to see John Hopkins play and like we were up high and so I could see everything that he was doing. Hmm. And I'm like, "Hmm, I can see how he's got everything organized and I can see his like, you know, launch pad. So I can see how he's got his clips arranged and stuff. And there was a point where I kind of was like, it'd be better if it was in the dark. So I could just (laughs) disengage that or I sat down below that I wouldn't be able to see. Yeah, it's it's helpful to... Not always know, obviously, the process, but <laughs> I mean, yeah, I think people, if they saw exactly my process, they wouldn't, they wouldn't, it wouldn't be that interesting because it's more, I've created in a, in a way where I'm trying to just let the music breathe instead of forcing a really interesting performance aspect. Because if it turns out that I could do an amazingly like 
virtuosic performance and it worked with the music I would do it but it, it I found that it's never ever been helpful and it's kind of gone the other way and made things not interesting so over the like last 15 years of performing I've, I've just created a very simplistic natural almost not natural because that doesn't really exist but it's just it's just super flexible basically um mm. but yeah it's, it's an interesting world though the like, I mean, and also what's really important is to is to stay is about sort of seven years ago i did decide to actually make electronic music with the with the profit eight that's the rev two but with the profit eight um and some pedals and then take that live like i decided consciously like let me make with these with this set of things because it was working and then i'm also going to take it live so i kept studio live was the same mm. and that obviously creates a confidence over years and there's a synergy there you know versus if you're making and then live you've just got a completely different setup i did actually yeah, force and implement the same thing in the studio and live not exactly mm. but the main ingredients that so that's important in the in my process and that, I did that, by the way, because I was actually angered by this subject that we're talking about. I was angered by the 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 weird the translation from studio to live in, in my own work, not in other people's, but in my own work. Um, so that's, I mean, that and that sounds so obvious as well, like because anyone listening to this or who has done that would just think, yeah, of course. Just if you want to make it easier, have the same setup in the studio and live. But some people overlook simple simple things like mm. that. Um, so, no, I don't think that's obvious. I think it's, it would be way too easy to like to do it in a complete yeah, or to just do it in a completely different way. Or how am I going to do this and try and make it yeah easier? And but no, that's true. If you can, I suppose it's why not. It just depends if you can play stuff. I mean, I certainly I don't play the keyboard like you can play the keyboard. So yeah, but that <laughs> that's got better over time though. For example, when I first started doing it, I was I shouldn't have been doing it. <laughs> 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 because I wasn't that good at it, but you know, I've been doing it for like eight years now playing keys live. So I've got way, way better at play, doing it and, and more confident and you get more expressive and you learn new things and those things go into the, into the music making and vice versa. But you, you, I'm a believer in just doing instead of speculating. Mm. Um, and yeah, just obviously keeping things simple is going to help, um, generally because there's already too many options in the computer world anyway i don't i'm not a subscriber to live performances having you know hundreds of plugins um mm. not to say that doesn't work but it's just the idea of that seem would confuse me and probably confuse a lot of people so i think try to achieve as much as possible with less things mm. and um, often like as i'm sure you know it's like the fact that less often sounds bigger Especially yeah. with synth sounds, like sometimes yeah, like a exactly. one oscillator sounds bigger than three. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, and also you can, it's more flexible because you can add or subtract from that in a way that it's very confusing if you've got a huge array of channels and stuff. Although, to be honest, I'm contradicting myself because there are bits in my set where it becomes extremely dense. Mm. Um, but, but not all the time. No, no, just in just in moments. I mean, but Because I do exploit kind of like almost... Uh, a density which is like not necessarily desired as a, as an effect like to resolve into clarity i mm. tend to do that live um but yeah it's just yeah i mean it's a whole you could have a whole conversation just about what mm. the, the it's always so it's so good to have contrasts in live sets i feel like yeah. there's you know when you've got it's so dumb but like a really quiet bit 
and then a really loud bit. It's just yeah. like I'm always trying it's an to easy it. thing to forget to do. Yep. No, I agree. But I do I do definitely make a, a big effort to have lots of contrast. I, kind of all contrast really in in my life set. Mm. Um like density, sparseness, speed, um, you know, heavy, light, ambient, mm. just like all the different kind of like polarities I like to explore and, and kind of explore in my music anyway as well, like in general. Um, but it's just obviously live, everything's much bigger. Mm. So even the ambient, soft, delicate bits actually have a lot of presence. So that's interesting because you, yeah. you forget that. I mean, yeah. or you wouldn't know that if you'd not tried to play your music in certain spaces, but everything changes. That, that's what I'm saying. Like the behavior of everything changes. The sense of everything changes. It's things that you thought were small all of a sudden are actually huge. Mm. I, I'm not, I, by the way, I'm not saying this to you because you know, but I'm just saying to anyone that's, I know, I know. That's, that's listening maybe that didn't know that or experienced that yet, yeah, that might be helpful knowledge. What is this, um, what's in your Eurorack system that's behind you? Um, so the Eurorack is, I've got the endorphins um, complex oscillator, the further with that's, like that's, that's five, how many hours is it five or six i can't remember yeah but it is that one um which i yeah, love um yeah. i think that was the first oscillator that i got because i've i've basically got a whole bunch of stuff like sort of typical dope fur filters the wasp filter mm. yeah it's a great one the sem filter a sem chip yeah. i can't remember a, um a105 i've got I'm the i'm an ed <laughs> oh i really love oh i forgot the name of them is it the uh, Czech Republic company is it what did Chaos they... Devices? Is it Chaos? X A O C. Yeah, that's, that's right. That's right. Yeah, I've got their. I think it's pronounced uh, Chaos. Yeah, I, I think believe. you're right. I think you're right. I've got their. Is it Butami? Butami. Uh, but that's the, right. The quad. The, the quad LFO. I love that. Um, that's there, and I've also got their the four envelope thing. Zadar. Is it? That's it. Yeah. Zadar. I'm not knowledge. even looking behind because you've got the. This knowledge. is like but, this but, is just like stamp collecting for me. Yeah. No, but that, 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 <laughs> that's I, good. I think they're incredible. Um, yeah. That company. I really like those two things. What What like resonates for you about the modular, particularly? Um. I mean, I think I, I definitely have found it difficult with the modular because I love sculpting and modulating and experimenting with sound, but I I do tend to get a little bit itchy about wanting to like write stuff in in a certain way like i've got into the habit of playing keys i mean of course i can play into this as well but i just haven't mm. i use the um stilson hammer sequencer on that um but yeah i didn't i don't know i think a part of me is a little bit too traditional in a kind of brain dead way so i <laughs> so i i i mean that um so you mean need, that, like you're not willing to experiment and go full well yeah I feel, I feel like i restrict i'm a bit a little bit uh inhibited sometimes when i'm using that and i need to learn to not do loosen that up. yeah yeah loosen up and just even though the funny thing is i've spent a lot of years of my life studying the most experimental music of all time um and have made really experimental music i mean like the weirdest stuff ever um but for some reason yeah i think i have quite a traditional attitude um in in me about music um in terms of me making not in terms of me listening or as a or as a, a fan but so that's been difficult but i you know there's lots of interesting stuff on the record that's been made with the modular for example in in echoes in the sort of first half of echoes there's a kind of weird almost guitar clicky sound that's made 
with really weird modulation going on in the, in the, in a system there with like 40 patch cables even though it's a kind of just like a three note chord but it's such an unusual clicky almost like a Fender Rhodes guitar mm. sound that's going on um so there's lots of little moments where I've captured really beautiful like timbres that have then mm. become collaged into compositions and by the way when you're doing something like that are you have you got the tune to a point where it's you have the tune in front of you and then you're like, I need something to go here, to go in this bit, I'm going to go to the modular and just spend a couple of hours making something bonkers that fits it? No. Or is that just like, did you just have that modular jam separately and you just pulled it in? That started that piece of music, actually. That sound right. started it. Um, I The way that you're describing it is actually the more ideal way that I should work, but for some reason... I just have too much material anyway. So a lot of things that I've created with that have actually been the starting point for songs or the starting point for a section. Um, um, I, I'm smirking because like what you're describing, I think is like what mo- like what modular is really, really bad for is like yeah. adding something to something that already exists and going, right. we need something to go in here. And yeah. you're like, cool. So I've got an infinite amount of possibilities in here. Let me just, let me just... <laughs> just negotiate infinity yeah and i'll bring it back to something really when what you really need is like just go to an sh101 and just play something really basic it's just like that's great but like yeah. it's a you know I, I, like as an example it's things like even tied like really mad like even tied things that you get in like the pitch um pitch factor and stuff you know that one like the there are there's some amazing sounds that it can make really amazing wait is that modular or do you... No, no, no. Just the, oh, like, the, know, like... the, the little red, the red light, even tie pedal. It's just all. Oh, pitch. I see what you mean. Okay. So, it, but, but I just, it's an example because there's so many great sounds it makes. But I remember thinking, I'm like, I love this. I love what it's doing. But there's no way it would ever fit a track. You have to make the track around that sound hmm. first. And I think that a lot of modular is like that. I, I definitely have done that myself. Like, the only times that I've ever been really like productive with a computer in a modular computer here is that it's where it started it. Yeah. And then, and actually what I've done is done a jam and then turned it off and then I just focus on the computer and chop up the jam and add things in a controlled way. And yep. it sounds a bit like that's cause I, I just, and I, I bring it up because I think it's, it's obviously a perennial thing as you well know. And as people listening will know that, finding a way to make modular not a colossal time hole and rabbit hole is hard and yet it's the one of the most open expressive infinite ways of generating sound it's like one of the most versatile things that you can have in a studio but it's also really hard to make use of yeah yeah i agree i Um, mean and also i think it depends though also like I say, my, one of my issues is probably that I'm a little bit too traditional in my, in my outlook sometimes. But of course, you've got, you know, you've got people that are just doing incredible stuff with modular synthesis and being very kind of pragmatic about it and just creating record after record with just a modular system. Um, no, like almost like what you said sounds pragmatic to me, that if you can approach it with a more traditional mindset, at least you've got a a clear direction and you'll probably, yeah. you won't allow yourself to go too rabbit holy. You go like, I know why I'm coming to this machine and I know what I'm coming for and I'll get it or close to. And, and then that's the sort of, that's the trick. It's not getting led down this sort of path. Um, yeah, but I think, it's, I think yeah. it's fine to be led down the path though and do weird stuff. It's just, it's, it depends on, on the individual. Like, for example, 
I think you need to, I think anyone that makes music needs to spend a really long time with any given kind of vocabulary to 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 know how to write with it. So, for example, if I just start or anyone just starts making experimental modular synth sounds tomorrow, my natural opinion is you need to spend a few years with with that kind of vocabulary um, because after that, then you'll really understand how best to write with that. So mm-hmm. I guess I need to basically just really commit and spend a long time with it is what I'm saying. Um, and obviously other people do that, but what I'm saying is I, I, I've kind of not probably put in enough time to justify my, my understanding of, of that world, even though I understand a lot about synthesis and I'm obviously when I'm even doing stuff with the Rev2, which has got quite a deep modulation world within it, there's obviously a connection between what's happening, um, in the, from that to the modular world. But yeah, it's, it's an interesting thing. I, I do notice people all the time on like Instagram who are doing really beautiful textural, you know, compositional, interesting things with the modular in the modular world. Um, but for some reason, I never immediately gravitate towards using it um, to express myself. But I, I'm after this record, though. I'm actually gonna I'm gonna spend a lot of time with it and see what happens because I, mm. I've de- I definitely feel like I can do good stuff with it. I just I think I just need a lot more time. I think everyone needs a lot of time with modular actually though. I don't think many people just, just jump straight into it and really have an intuitive. And I don't mean, cause there's a difference between understanding and, and sort of, and, and liking and feeling like it represents what you want. Cause you yeah. can, obviously you could understand everything you're doing, but it can mean it can not resonate with you. Cause I'm yeah, always totally. wanting to be moved or not always wanting to, but I try to be moved by the things that I'm making. So you know that's going to obviously take a long time with with such processes because there's a lot of randomization. Mm. I mean, there doesn't have to be. There doesn't. There can't be, that's the problem. Everything that I'm saying is is skeptical because obviously you could have like a very classical procedural process in in that in that world. But anyway, I guess I'm, I'm I, rambling now. No, but no, but not at all. Because it is like, especially if you go to like a Stilson Hammer, it's a very abstracted way of making music by like, like adjusting dials and yeah. changing pro- probabilistic processes. It's not the black and white keys of a prophet that you know there are shapes that your hand knows to go to and the no will push your buttons in a certain way. And if you just adjust the cutoff and attune the oscillators and just so, I know that you know exactly what's going to happen. It's not like that at all on a modular. It's just like a, it's like fumbling around in a sort of, you know, in a kind of, Jackson Pollock painting and trying to find your way out and yeah it is true that like it is capable of amazing stuff but you know with sequences even ones that are quite simplistic and even ones like things like Metropolis and stuff that I really like it it's still not every melody moves me and it does take time it's so weird when you find the ones that do and you think about why the fuck does like a sort of tuning of like why do like this sequence of tune notes actually make me feel something yeah. it's so weird and why can't it be recreated all the time yeah <laughs> why is it different sometimes i don't feel it when i listen to it it's like sometimes i do it's like the, the whole thing is very odd also that there's grammar to music i find really odd yeah you know, that phrases resolve yeah yeah is, there anyway, is that not has that been studied it's not something i've looked into hugely but the fact that there's a kind of call and response and that you know it, it almost re- if you don't resolve a phrase, it's it's almost like agonizing. Yeah, I'm kind of obsessed with phrasing, by the way. 
that a lot of my emphasis on writing music is about like paying attention to like phrasing the phrasing yeah. of melodic harmonic rhythmic parts um so I, I i kind of kind of into that world um no please answer my question can you answer my, my query i mean I, I don't really have like a, I don't know. I don't a know specific it... recipe or attitude towards it but i just really prefer to anything that i've done that i thought was good had good phrasing as mm. in it was extremely like considered like what fits into different oh, to explain you know what's in certain boundaries and before it repeats you know just the same like, you know the same as a really good loop mm. a really good loop is a really good loop because it's probably the phrasing of it is very immaculate versus it, it in a different way but anything can have good phrasing but I I, I, not every process lends itself to it, I suppose. I, I just immediately think of an example is, which I've mentioned before on this podcast, but there's an app that I got called Synthesizer, which... Oh, Synthesizer. Synthesizer. Do you know that one? It's Remind me Zynther. of that. It looks like ah. this. And it's like, but it's really simple. All it is is just uh, notes. It's like a monome, it's a grid, yep. but it's constrained to scales. And what's it's got a re the key with it is it's got a really nice two oscillator synth engine. It actually sounds really good, even though it's a phone. And it's just 32 steps. And you can add a bit of reverb and delay, but that's it. And so what happens is that if you sit on a train yep. with that, because it's just a 32 bar note, and because you can't add 32 uh, note sequence, and you can't add anything, yep. then all you can do is make a really nice phrase. Yeah, 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 exactly. But that's the magic for me. It is. It has been. Right. That, and that's, I, that's kind of refers back to what I mentioned at the very beginning, which is when I talked about the velocity-sensitive arpeggios on the Rev2, mm. because it's velocity-sensitive, interesting phrases emerge versus if yeah. every note was the same volume, yeah. you, you, you perceive phrasing, but it would be very static. I'm interested yeah. in a very distinct, noticeable, like a shape, or a behavior to a, a sequence of notes. Yeah. And maybe like it's just loud at the very end of a sequence, you know, like different gestures. Um, and obviously this stuff's like really been done to death, especially in like even like techno or whatever, where it could just be a, a loudest fuck note right before the one every two mm. bars. You know, this, this kind of stuff on mel melodic terms is really powerful to me. And that, to be honest, actually, that stuff that is very natural to achieve in the modular world, interesting phrasing, like what you just showed on the phone. Yeah, so, it's although it can be the the trick with the phone is that you are forced to refine it, like it's, yeah, and not whereas in the modular, it's left to chance, and it's kind of like you roll a dice and you roll a dice and you roll a dice, but on here you really have precise control, so that you, you it's like polishing a jewel. You really have to. You just keep polishing until it's really shiny. And and the key is, because you've got nothing else to listen to and sort of distract you, is that it's all about whether the f it it's all about whether you can make a loop that can play forever and you don't get bored of. Yeah. And that's like the ultimate loop, really, yeah. isn't it? It's like the ultimate sort of I mean riff. that's that's difficult to achieve, but Yeah. I don't know. I don't know if I've ever done that. <laughs> I'm sure you have. well. Get synthesized. There you go. Yeah, I'll, I'll try that. Drop I'll try it. That. Yeah, <laughs> it's really yeah, good. Sell everything. Just yeah, I know. Yeah, exactly. Jesus.
I'm not on commission for synthesizer. Um, and it's only like $4.99. So it's probably like the cheapest thing that I can possibly recommend. So I have one final question. Actually, two questions. Uh, the first question is what is the best console? The best console? I'm I mean, not a knowledgeable console a... person. I mean, I guess. Yeah, just, Neve, wait a sec. Let's say I... Neve. Oh, oh. As, in, as in a gaming console. Yeah, that's, that's why you call rival consoles. Ah, I, was, I thought you meant you... like as in like a classic console like Neve or I mean, SSL. It's probably a Neve. Um, <laughs> but I, I don't know. I was like a Nintendo guy as a kid, and then you a Nintendo household. Well, to be honest, my brother had almost everything because he was obsessed with gaming. Um, what well, we're talking like Sega Mega Snares. Drive. Yeah, yeah. I was basically, I was thinking of your age. It's either, this conversation is either it's Mega Drive or SNES. Or, yeah. Well, actually, but, I mean, I remember the the 60, Nintendo sixty four really, really yeah. well. Um, it's yeah, been yeah. amazing with Goldeneye and things like that. Zelda. Um, yes. Yes. But I'm also a, into PlayStation. This this is funny because this is probably going to trigger a lot of people. This <laughs> Was, is that why you call rival consoles because of like the whole thing of like Sony and uh, well uh, Sega and Nintendo. I, I, mean, was, I interpreted it like that one, but I mean that's what you would think. Yeah, I, I'm trying to remember because it was so long ago, but I don't know if it was as as specific as that. I definitely like the word rival because it implies you know rivalry and it implies more than one and, mm. uh, and consoles was probably used because yes this but also because it was connected to like the idea of technology in general i i, I didn't really have this specific like it, okay. it sounds like it's appealing to you know the super nerdy you know gaming world which i've actually got back into by the way so i'm part of the gaming what? world again now in what way shape and form well i was playing elden ring too much um yeah. I've, I've got that game. I buy games aspirationally because uh, I don't have time to play them, but I just buy them because yeah. it makes me feel like I will have time yeah. to play them. I mean, that's a game where you can spend far too many hours, so that's a, that's a warning and everyone agrees with that warning. <laughs> it seems like really, like, I have got Elden Ring and it is just, like, aesthetically astonishing and yeah. incredible and strange. Yeah, it's, it is amazing. It's like It's an incredible kind of cinematic experience to play um and the music's actually amazing in that is it um really 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 interesting some mm. super super minimal really minimal tiny background fragmented like wispy string stuff going on that's always mm. really powerful as well as like the heroic you know bombastic grandeur but yeah i also love that it's nails it's like really hard like yeah it, took, it took me about 100 hours probably to get actually like to the point where i feel like it wasn't annoying the hell out of me that's how but I, it's because i've never played that a from software game before mm. oh no that's not true i tried to play sekiro i don't know if you've ever tried to I play tried that. that one that's, heard of that's it. the hardest it's too i actually I had to abandon that because it was it was destroying my making you angry just it's just because i'm not like an a, a, an actually good gamer so it took me too long but Elden Ring was good. Um, and that, that's my official endorsement of Elden Ring. Boom. The, <laughs> the rival console winner is Sony. Yeah. Uh, well, I see when you're playing on a Sony. Yeah, yeah, it was placed. Yeah, is that, is that all consoles? I can't remember. I think it is. I, think it's, uh, I don't know. I feel like it's... I don't I've, got it, I haven't got, I've got it on PC and I've got, I've got a Steam Deck, which is like the sort of yeah. Valve thing. Have you got one of those? No, no, but I know of it, yeah. should get one. They are really good. It I, is I, great aspirational console for people who really feel that they should, like, oh, this is the way, this is the way I'll be able to play games. Yeah, I mean, 
it's we're always having to f- oh you've got it there it's, it's like it's, it's in its so it's like a little bit bigger than like a um nintendo switch it's loads bigger than a switch so that's it's mad like the switch is like this almost like this oh, big. right fits into so basically massive. the screen it's massive what is that like so, nine inches across or something like? <laughs> screen um, i think it's pretty yeah, it's long isn't it, it? Is, it's big like i have reasonably normal I'm like five eleven, normal hands. But the point with it is that it's a PC in a handheld console, yeah. so you can. Interestingly, uh, because this is a musicy people, is you can also it's running like uh, Linux, so you can run Bitwig on it. You can hmm. run VCV rack, um, and you, so you have. Can, I actually have run Bitwig very briefly, just as like a proof of concept. And also, you can run Orca. Have you seen that? Like Orca, that's a fun one. So Orca's like it's a it's a graphic programming. How do I even describe like Max it? No, yes and no. Like it's basically a sort of beautiful, like bluey green screen with lots of like it's all just text, and there's just lots of little dots in a grid. And basically, you hmm. write characters like you know Y, B, and Q, and Z, and each of the characters is like a module, and it does something. And so, and there'll be like one that is like uh, I, I'm I like used it barely, so I'm going to get this wrong and annoy Orca people. But but like one is like a a like a emitter, and it'll emit a note every uh, okay. sort of like five beats because you put a five next to it okay and the notes like run along in a little line and then you can put something that is gets in the way of the note and does something like trigger an event or like move the note somewhere else and basically hmm. you build these little like structures on the screen that are actually sequences and like note generators and have probabilistic things and you can have like you can have it pipe it out via MIDI and it could be controlling your profit and, and making like sort of generative beats and sort of odd, odd things. That's Orca, O-R-C-A. And it's like, it's, I think you can download it for free, but they're like, please pay me something. And so it's pay what you want, I think. Uh, that sounds I think good. It's I, really cool. I really like, def- like the sound of that. It sounds really Definitely recommend. Unexpected but like, results. But, and also with this, because it's a, um, it's like a PC, then it's got, you know, a USB-C. Yep. You can plug a, I've had a breakout and then a, like a little MIDI, just a little, like one of those, you know, super basic MIDI, like cable MIDI adapters. So then you can have that be like an actual hardware sequencer. Um, yeah, so it could be used live. Yeah, could be. Yeah. I mean, it's like, we're just like, I don't know. I, I, I mean, it's a bit ridiculous sort of make music with this when I've got like an amazing Mac and stuff, but <laughs> it's just one of those like sort of, it's the kind of thing, if you're a music person, you want to play some games, you are also going to think about the, can I do other things with it? And that's unique in the, unlike a PlayStation or like a Switch. Yeah. Well, there is like Core Gadget on the Switch, which is, which is quite good. Oh, I didn't um, even know that. I mean, I've not got a Switch, yeah. by the way, but. Yeah, yeah. Well, it's that gadget being the, you know, you can get it on your phone and it's on the Switch as well. And it's it's good. Like, you can make, like, legit things on, I mean, all of these devices. And I guess it's that thing of, you know, with your phone, it's the camera that you always have with you. So yeah. it's the best camera you've got. And, and similarly for doing sketches and stuff, I've got a lot of that on the phone. But, yeah. It's weird how I just come back to that synthesizer thing. What is shocking to me is that I've actually written better music 
than a lot of what I've done on Ableton Live. Yeah, that... just and they're just little riffs. Uh, but because... do you then reuse those in different ways in the computer, like just as MIDI, maybe or N not yet? But <laughs> it's like, it sounds like you should though. Yeah, yeah. No, I totally. I like genuinely feel that probably the most important music I'll write is the stuff that is this, which then transferred out into Ableton Live and then finished as a piece. Because yeah, as you say, it's that it's that the focus on phrasing that you that you explore and that's that is the yeah. most important i think you're right good it's, phrasing is powerful that's for sure yeah um so, so one i have one final question um what is the future of music technology i mean is isn't the present and the future just everything all at once like i mean of course i guess people would say that the future of music technology is a more ai integration I have like things that I want to be the future of music technology, such as part of me wants sort of there to be a, like a kind of movement in electronic music. And this is probably already happening, by the way, I'm con contradicting myself now, but where it's just absolutely stripped back to like, to the point of three people singing in a room with nothing, mm. you know, like I, I, I would like the electronic equivalent of that. As a like, I mean, a whole movement, like ten years worth of music of it, and there's loads of good stuff. There's loads of terrible stuff, but and like I say, that's probably already happening. But the simplicity thing, I love, really like that, like the sort of chamber music, but for a synth. Yeah, yeah. Is that, what's that? <laughs> is it, Have you seen that Voix de Luthier device? That's like a sort of, it's like a wooden, looks like a wooden harp, and it's a sort of physical resonator. Oh, it, you you plug a synth into it. Yeah, it's like it, a reamp. It, isn't yeah. It? Okay. And yeah, it, like, I think I've seen that. Yeah, didn't Heinbach demo yeah, that? Maybe almost certainly. It's his up his Strasse. Uh, it's like it, something. I don't know if that's part of what you're saying, but it's that idea of just trying to put a synthesizer into the physical world again. Yeah, but not even do that. Maybe I'm just even thinking like on a compositional level. Maybe there will come a point where people can express with synth with new synthesizers of the future. This is so stupid now, but let's go with it because it's funny. Right, please do. Um, the, you know, the kind of things that you can express with the voice, the human voice, um, in a way that feels authentic. That's what I mean. And obviously that's subjective, but maybe AI kind of like synthesized algorithms will be able to lend themselves to that. Forget about what I'm just saying. It's terrible, but I don't. No, I don't think it is terrible because I think I think what you're getting at is like the. It sounds. What's key, and what's key thinking about my like synth noodles is the fact that they're really simplistic, and it's 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 the art of like writing electronic music without a beat that is just like selected ambient works too. Like those are good yeah, examples of what it's like. <laughs> I was listening to the other day, like just like marveling at it, yeah. like my god. Because that's good phrasing, you know, and yeah. that's just like very mature. Like, and he and was I mean, like twenty or something. When yeah, he that. it's just like not okay, but that's fine. I'm glad for him. Well done, you. Yeah, <laughs> you it is. It is incredible. It's so mature and um, decluttered and elegant and all the good. And stuff. I think there's only three elements on some of these tunes. I mean, there's a load of quadruverb, but there's yeah, pretty much just three things. It's what you, I think it is what you're saying, and I agree. Like, I think it should be a good challenge for any electronic musician to like limit the parts like you've got eight on your like the eight on your like novation is overkill you need to like cut it cut it down to just like just three or i don't know i and i 
I only say that like it allows one to focus. It's the classic thing with um, hard when you get into if you've only ever made music on a computer and then you have a go at hardware music making. Speaking personally, what I was like, oh, the reason why people like this is the fact that you can't just add and add and add. You have to actually make all the elements work really well together. And then hmm. if, if for the next thing to happen, you just have to phrase things differently, create a new you know, stage of the composition that isn't just about bolting something onto what is already there and just sort of making this kind of Heath Robinson tune that's just things bolted onto things. It's about really working the internal guts of a song and reworking it from moment to moment. Songwriting, I think is probably what they call it. Yep. But it's it takes limiting your amount of channels, available available channels to make that happen. So I think you're right in that it would probably be a very healthy thing for many many of us to do. Um, but I think you, you write very good, simple music. So it's sort of... But yeah, I'll, I'll, I don't know if I'll, I do, but I'll take it as a compliment. Exactly, it's yours. <laughs> I'm going to start an Ableton Live set with just three channels on three it. Channels. That's be my, yeah, yeah. And, could be a good thing actually. Though, like every you know two two days a week, three channels is like a rule. I, I've yeah. never actually done that, but even I'm I'm quite into that as an idea. Like the four track is like overkill. No, yeah, four, four's too many. Three it has to be three. Four? What am I going to do with all those channels? It's good. It's a good. Yeah, limitation obviously always interesting even if you don't get what you want you'll probably learn something that can be integrated into you know a big composition mm. as a as a way of thinking why we bleep is also sponsored by modcalf now, before you pack away your patch cables and kiss your oblique strategies goodnight, let me tell you a tale. A tale of community, of a guy called Adrian Utley, and of an ancient wind tunnel. Now, the community interest company ModCaf has inspired 23 modular cafe Aldershot artists to record an ambisonic album in a very unique space. A historic Q121 wind tunnel in Farnborough, Hampshire. And at the end of September, there is an event that you can go to where you too can witness the unsettling majesty of a 58-metre-long concrete box being filled with sonic wonder at the hands of some mildly caffeinated experimental musicians and, of course, Portishead Adrian Utley himself. You can spend a weekend exploring this incredible acoustic space, experience live audiovisual performances, build your own noise synth, and engage with a community of synthesizer enthusiasts at a modular cafe, all while surrounded by artefacts of aviation history. Keep that Bristronica energy going on Saturday the 30th of September and Sunday the 1st of October 2023. Tickets to this awesome event are available at modcaf.org.uk and you can catch up with the project at modcaf on YouTube. Get tickets and go and enjoy some very long reverb tales. And now, back to you, Mr Melodies. Ah, uh, thank you, Peter. Um, yes, uh, thanks. Uh, thank you, Modcalf, for sponsoring that. And yeah, wow, yes, thank you, 
Ryan from Rival Consoles, or Ryan who is what Rival Consoles. Um, I really enjoyed that conversation with him. I found it, I've thought about it a great deal subsequently as a kind of, like a peek into a very private, creative world, I suppose, which all these conversations are. But I suppose I was was just really struck by what he said about the prolific nature of the music he writes and the sort of obsessive, you know, process that he's been able to absorb himself in, just completely and utterly absorbed in this process of making music and trying all kinds of things out experimentally. Amazing. It's wonderful that it's possible <laughs> to do that. Um, I suppose I just come to that. I'm in a weird place personally, you know, where I'm, I've just set off and left normal working life, quote unquote, to work on my own creative projects. But um, so therefore, I guess it's it's amazing. It's that idea that you can actually just spend your days doing something creative and really, really plumbing the depths. Um, it makes me wish that we did have universal basic income so that people who are into things like music could just completely absorb themselves in it because it's one thing for me to you know have a youtube channel which makes practical demos of music gear um but the devaluation of music has just made it so incredibly hard to be someone who can spend the whole days making music weeks and months making music it's just so hard and as you get older as you well know it's so hard to find the energy and the passion late at night in the you know, hour that you have remaining to do music. Um, and so I guess what I'm saying is I'm kind of, I'm jealous that he's, he has that, that time, but that's his job and he's so, so successful at it. So more power, Ryan, and um, thank you for taking the time to talk to me. Should live electronic musicians be seen to do more at shows? And he's like, I don't care. Like, like if there's interesting musical ideas, that is all that is, you know, that's all that's important. I'm happy. And of course, he's exactly right. It's something that we've talked about here many times. But, you know, at the end of the day, no one gives a crap what you're doing. Like, it will look very similar to an audience if you are programming a whole modular synth versus, um, you know, playing with a laptop. On the whole, like, certainly depending on the structure of a stage and if there's, like, a DJ booth and there's a little kind of, like, barrier up in front, could be that they have absolutely no idea what you're doing behind that barrier. Um, so what difference does it make? All that matters is what is coming out of the speakers. And I know that's not true because all that also matters is, you know, your joy and what you do. That is the key because especially if you're going to keep it going when you have very little time, very little energy, then it's important that you're passionate about it. But at the end of the day, what comes out of the speakers is what will make you famous, <laughs> not how you do it. Um, and that, yeah, that whole thing of playing live. Playing live tells him what works and what doesn't. There's a sort of fear and terror in doing that, in, in bearing your soul and, and seeing actually how an audience reacts to things. But it's an essential component of something that was lost during the era of COVID where he had to become very introspective and wrote, now is, you know, that's like a COVID album. And it's, he says, well, you know, kind of implying that it was also almost to a fault because he'd not had the, the opportunity to play things out. But I think it's a great sounding album. <laughs> it sounds wicked. It sounds very deliberate and very considered 
um, because we know now that he's just spent so much time considering it. So, yeah, interesting, interesting as ever. I hope you enjoyed that. I, as I say, really enjoyed talking to you, Ryan. Thank you for taking the time to speak to me. And I'm sorry that it took so bloody long to come out. Promise I won't do it again since this is now my job. Um, so, yeah, thank you for listening. Thanks. And a special thanks I want to pass to those of you who are listening who are Patreon supporters. Thank you. The presence of you is a significant part of why I would consider doing this job full time. Um, and as I say, and as I beg, and I will say again, if you enjoyed this, please do consider signing up on Patreon at any level. It will help. It will help me put focus on the sort of other side of things. That's the things that I'm not getting directly commissioned to do. So patreon.com forward slash Mylar Melodies. Yeah, thank you to Signal Sounds. Thank you to Thonk for being awesome sponsors. And thank you to Modcaf as well for coming in. Uh, check out modcaf.org.uk. That event is at the end of September when Machina Bristronica is on. And I will be there too. Uh, that is an amazing event. I will be interviewing Vlad Kreiner from Soma. All being well, if Vlad can make it over. And uh, if not, then perhaps remotely. But in any case, I'll be there and I'm going to be playing my dang modular synth and maybe a drum machine at the after party. So I hope to see you there. That's all. Sorry it took so long. Much love to you. I promise I will be back in a month with the next one. Watch the skies and we'll see you next time. Bye.